Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we ask the age-old question, where do babies come from? And we also answer it. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Yes, welcome back to the Popcorn Talk here on Anatomy of a Movie show. Today we're dissecting Storks. Really fun movie from Sony. Uh, I'm your host, Marissa Serafini. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. Joining me, I have. Hey, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at Happy Go Jackie. Yes, Frank, welcome back. Ooh, yes. To Anatomy. I believe our last one we did together was Kung Fu Panda. So another animated film. I feel like I'm getting that animated niche. I'm really making my inroad here on Popcorn oh, Talk. Well, yes. Hey, <laughs> hey, if that's the way to go, do it. All uh, right. Really fun film. Storks, you know, we had the. The old story of babe, where do babies come from? Yes. Storks are the ones delivering the babies, and like I like how they took that that story and that theme and like played it up, modernized it a bit. It was a it was a cool idea to, to answer the questions that people like. If you give it a moment, you think like, well, yeah, what? How how does the the rules of this kind of world work? Where mm-hmm. if storks indeed deliver babies, how would that all come about? And it's cool the way they answer some of these questions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what were your overall thoughts of this film? This I uh, yeah, seeing the trailer uh, earlier this year. Uh, you know, I feel like there's been a few other animated films that have come out this year that you kind of see it and you're like, mm, okay, I'm gonna pass on this. But the storks, it, it seems such an interesting concept that I was uh, intrigued to see it. And so I was. This was actually one of the films I was looking forward to seeing. So I felt like it lived up to the expectation that I wanted. It, it was it was an enjoyable film. Yeah, I thought it was super enjoyable to the point where I was like, we have to talk about Storks, and we're going to find a way to do it. (laughs) And here, I got you, and here we're We're doing doing it. it. Doing it. Um, I really enjoyed this film. I loved it. It was really a cute concept, um, visually funny, uh, and you you know, have the uh, humans with animals, you know, interaction, and then even the, the comedy, which I, like... For for animation, you can always assume that there's going to be some comedy in it. But I was like thoroughly surprised by the comedy, um, and the the wittiness of it. And I love like good smart humor, and it was definitely witty all throughout. And I saw a trailer for or like a promo trailer for Storks probably earlier in the year that really sold me in wanting to watch this film. So I've known about it for a while, but like I, I had to yeah. see it. And I'm glad it, you know, it lived up to my expectations and exceeded what I thought it was going to do. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film. And it was just, uh, as we break down in the movie, it's just like, you know, sometimes you're watching films and you get the feeling that they're trying to lay the groundwork. Like this could be like the first installment of potential kind of, you know, if you like it, we'll make more in this world. And I feel like this and especially uh, with the directors, their thoughts, like this is just a nice a nice encapsulated story. And I was yeah. like, that for itself, I, I enjoyed. Just like, give me one great story. I need to worry about, is there going to be a sequel? Is there going to be a start of a franchise? Like, I just want one good, solid story. And I think we definitely got it. And, you know, I love how you brought up the directors. This, speaking of the directors, uh, Nicholas Stoller and Doug Sweetland, they, it was a co-directing from both of them, uh, this film, which was really interesting because one has experience in animation and one has experience in live, in live action. And I felt like it was the perfect marriage of the two for this film. Absolutely. And, and the idea of like where the origins of this film came from and to where it ended up being on screen was so interesting just to really get like the nuts and bolts of how this evolved through the whole development process of bringing this, this story to life. Yeah. And so we had Nicholas Silla and Doug Sweetland directing this, and it's also from Sony. Uh, with the production of Warner Animation Group. So, you know, the, like, big names are a part of this this project. And, like, I, I liked how... Well, let's talk a little bit about the development. Nick Stoller, back in 2012, actually had an animated movie pitch, but he needed help on the artwork, and that's where Sweetland came in, and he helped with the art, and that's kind of just how those two started working on this project together. And to think what like it basically started just a very much a, a very true to life uh, situation in there for Nick, where he was dealing with something with his wife, where they're they're having a difficulty getting uh, having a second child, going through fertility, going through mm-hmm. all the treatments and stuff, and that struggle, and just like how are they, at least that was the origin point for the story. And when they were starting to put the film together and looking at it and just seeing like this kind of like the downbeat kind of beginning of the film. Just like realize, okay, maybe this isn't the way we want to bring people into the film. Right. I mean, if you think about it, that is kind of a, a darker kind of outlook and, and how 
the movie started, but you know, Nicholas Stellar, who was one of the directors and one of the writers of this this film, uh, he also had um, the influence of the Coen Brothers' 1997 movie *Raising Arizona*. So, like that concept of raising baby, but also like wanting to keep it at the end. And it's such a, I think, a delicate line for an animated film, especially because it's geared more toward more of a universal broad appeal Mm -hmm. uh, to do something that has a little twinge of sadness or darkness at the beginning and still feel like you can hold on to your audience throughout it. Like if you look at like up from Pixar, that whole beginning right there where you're watching their relationship silently and then you just see where it leads. It just, it really just pulls at the heartstrings, but you're still invested in it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I liked how it pulls at the heartstrings and it's not just, um, you know, just keeping a baby, but just like the whole idea of a family itself and like what, what is family? Like, not just your blood relatives, but what is the meaning of families and who do you consider as family? And I, I liked how they played that up too, especially at the end, which we'll get to. But um, they're the different meanings of what we define as family. And the one thing that was cool about this is that when you think about animated films, I mean, certainly it feels like they take longer to get to the theater than mm-hmm. live action. And even I was always wondering that too. It's like, man, why does this take so long? But then listening to. Uh, Nick and uh, Doug talking about like just the, the incubation process for this and that it takes several years when they start storyboarding it out. And then you may have the script, but once you start storyboarding it out and you realize that it's going to really change and evolve. And that's where they need that two years just as they're working on the boards to really see where that story is going to take them. Realize that just having that, just two years alone, just storyboarding before you even start animating anything. Yeah. You can just see where a lot of that time is spent in bringing something. I, get a, I got a better understanding and appreciation for the lengthy pro- development time to get this to the theater. Yeah, of course. And Stoller himself even said that this, the product, the end product of this film is nothing like their first draft. So that just goes to show with the writing and storyboarding just like how much it evolved from four years ago. And I feel like that's my favorite sort sort of collaboration is where somebody comes up with a with a, with a, a good idea and then everybody just kind of adds to it mm-hmm. and, and it ends up taking it to someplace that it couldn't have been the result of just one person. It's just so much better from all the other pieces of people adding their pieces to it to make it better than the sum of its parts. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, the, just the concept of storks <clears throat> and babies and like I, I, it's one of those things that parents try to avoid for as long as possible telling their kids of where the babies come from. Yes. And I liked how they played on that. And we definitely had those jokes throughout. And just the idea of delivering, the storks delivering babies again. Like, we all know that growing up. But, like, I liked how they modernized it and changed it because they didn't like it anymore. The storks didn't like delivering babies anymore. That now they're delivering packages like Amazon. That's true. <laughs> Brilliant. Although it makes me wonder, though, so in this world, storks deliver babies uh, until they finally decide they want to get out of that business, start doing uh, deliveries of packages and things. Yeah. But so how does that work with the rest of the civilization? They're like, guess what? We're not delivering babies anymore, so you have to go back to the old-fashioned way of doing this? Yep, I guess so. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. I guess we have to, you know, be together. Okay. The human connection. <laughs> 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 like we need that more of that in the world, uh, but I, I liked it, and that pretty much just sets up the whole story, the whole movie itself. Is that because they this one family wants her, like the boy more so, uh, the 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 young boy Nate, the character wanted a brother or like it's just a sibling more so, but he wanted a brother because his parents weren't really giving him the affection that should have in the time as parents should and you just wanted a brother and that starts the the whole movie yeah and i think it's a very relatable point of entry because you know people that do have kids you know you can get caught up in your own business and even though you wanted to be a parent you can still get lost in your own pursuits and forget oh wait i should be making time for this person that i wanted to have in my life and i've kind of neglected them Mm -hmm. uh you know just through trying to think like this is you know just in that rat race so to speak and and but it's really sad because it is true, especially with technology that it takes parents away from that precious time that they have with the kids. And even Nate's certain lines where it's like blink and I'll you know I'll be an adult and <laughs> yeah, like yes. the, the the zingers that like really guilted the parents to be like oh yeah you're right I should spend time with you. It was interesting to this. I guess I I like that they didn't 
draw that out? I mean, you got enough of it to feel like, all right, this is not a great situation for Nate. He's not really the whole family in itself is just not really enjoying their life as a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it, it's touched on. You kind of get the idea of where they're at, but there is a very quick change into like, all right, hey, let's let's get on board with Nate's idea and really kind of like, spend time together as a family. Yeah, and we had those moments when the parents would switch on and off. It was like five minutes. It was like, you only get five minutes, and that's it. It's your turn. And it it was really just unfortunate that they thought in that perspective. Like, it's something that they have to to be parents, not that they should be parents, you know? And I I guess it's always like the the, the dilemma of a family. Like, do you stay with the one child? Like, because they do make that one comment on the car. It's like, (laughs) you know, I thought we were were great as three, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And I think that's easy for the adults to say. But, you know, like the the way things are. Yeah. Uh, The child who's like, you know, it'd be great to have somebody else that I could play with all the time. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, when you guys aren't working. And if you're never not working, then when do I get to do that? Yeah. When does he get to be a child? Yeah. He's only by himself. Uh, and I liked that. I liked how even this core family with these three, with uh, Henry and uh, Sarah and Nate, that family, that like how they evolved, and at the end they did become a closer family. Definitely, it's like I felt like you could see the writing on the wall there. Just like just you. Well, hopefully it's a family <laughs> film, so you think at the end it it's going to be it's going to be a happy ending for it. But you felt like even if. I mean, if something terrible or tragic were to happen where, you know, the the baby did not get to them by the end of the film, that you feel like they themselves, through this experience, though, have become a much closer family. Uh, they have. And, you know, the, the biological family. And then we have the unconventional family with Tulip and Junior, Junior the stork and Tulip the orphan. Yes. <laughs> Which was funny. And on their mission to deliver the baby to the Gardner family. And then... Over the course of time, like, and through all of their adventures, which we'll definitely get into, but, like, through their adventures and stuff, that they became a closer type of family, looking uh, out for each other. Absolutely. You kind of really see, you see that bond develop. And, and as you're saying, it's like family becomes the people that you choose to have in your life, not necessarily somebody that's born into your life. Yeah. And I liked how the, we had these two parallel stories, but we can all understand just the theme of what do you think is family? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm always a fan of the people that you choose in your life. They, you know, those are sometimes even a stronger connection than people that you've known your whole life. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I liked there for the lighter, good protagonists of this film. We also had our villains. So, like, it, I think there was a good balance of the unconventional villains in this film. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious just to see because I mean, I guess everybody wants to have. Babies, I mean, certainly the way you see storks at the beginning of the film and the way that they're treated as they're delivering babies kind of sets a picture for why perhaps storks wanted to get out of the baby delivery business. Not as glamorous as you may. The the, weather. Yes. The getting pecked. The one with the baby that's just poking them in the eye constantly. Like, oh, that would not be fun at all. But I'm wondering, is that, is delivering packages, is that a bigger money-making venture than delivering babies? I don't, I don't know. Like, Like, what's more fulfilling? I mean, certainly, I think delivering babies is more fulfilling. Economically speaking, I guess is package delivery is that. I guess it's a better. You get a better. You know, better It'd be uh, safer. Certainly safer. You don't have to worry getting poked in the eye by a package at all. Right. It kind of reminded me of the. Yes, I know this is a Sony Pictures movie, but uh, it reminded me of the Disney's animation short of Partly Cloudy. Oh, yes. With the storks delivering the animal babies. And there was that one poor stork who was constantly being bitten up because he had, like, all the, the un- well, I shouldn't say unwanted babies, but, like, the, the harder babies, yeah. like crocodiles <laughs> and the the more dangerous type of babies. Um, and it just kind of reminded me of that. It's like, I can understand why storks wouldn't want to deliver babies anymore. And, I mean, speaking of, I mentioned that, uh, I mean, Doug Sweetland, I mean, the way they kind of made that association there with him and Nick Stoller was uh, through uh, doing Presto, that uh, that animated yeah. short, which I really liked that animated short. I thought that was a great, uh, I can't remember which Pixar film that was in front of it. Was Cars or Monsters? Yeah, that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, but it was, man, I really remember enjoying that short. Yeah, I mean, anything Disney is great. Uh, but, it's like, we had different types of villains in this film and i was trying to think who's like the biggest baddest one we had hunter we had pigeon toady and then the the wolves oh, man the wolves i 
there's so much about that wolf pack, just the way I the wolf when we get to them. Awesome. Oh, <laughs> such great gags and, and ideas uh, with those. Uh, I just enjoyed it as it kept on going. Right. I thought that was fantastic. I feel like, I mean, I think ultimately Hunter seems to be the biggest obstacle because he, mm-hmm. I mean, he's basically, seems like, thanks to him, they've he's made a big directional shift in the, what storks do as a living. Mm-hmm. And as a calling, uh, and more in the sense of, I guess, out of safety, but it also feels like as they do like StoreCon and all this stuff, I guess there is a sense of greed. <laughs> StoreCon. Yeah. That was funny. Um, I, I liked Hunter as the, the big alpha stork, I guess you can say. Yeah. And uh, he, although he was funny and serious at the beginning, he, he kind of got scary at the end. Yeah, it... Uh, yeah, because it seemed like it really escalated from where, like, I, we got out of this business because we didn't want to get pecked and poted and prodded and, mm-hmm. and grabbed and yanked while we we're delivering babies. So delivering boxed goods, fantastic. Much safer route. We don't have to worry about getting injured. To then all of a sudden just being so unrelenting and so maniacal about, like, no, this is – we're going to keep this baby. We're going to you know have it raised by penguins and then release it back into <laughs> the, the humans later on in its life. Like, what is going on, Hunter? The penguins were hysterical, too. Um, I also liked how Hunter treated those poor little orange birds like they were nothing. Yes. Like, he used them as golf balls and, like, anything small. And uh, it made them, like, more diminutive than they really are. Yeah, I felt like at that at that moment when you see him coming, uh, when Junior comes into the office and you see the way that he treats them either as golf balls or as, like, you know, stress relievers <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, that you feel like, all right, uh, that right there, nice visual shorthand that he is not the most compassionate, caring person. So, you know, probably somebody that we're not going to be rooting for through the course of this film. Yeah, especially that. Um, but the, the wolves, I, I loved the wolves. They were funny. They were supposed to be scary, but then uh, when they're trying to be menacing and whatnot, they become more softer and funny during because the, uh, the effects of the baby on them. Yes, like, I mean, as you're saying from uh, what Nick Stoller wanted, it's kind of like a raising Arizona moment where everybody loves that baby. And so mm-hmm. you're expecting the wolves just to see it as a source of food. No, no, no. We see it source of, oh my gosh, this baby is just the cutest thing ever. Yeah, and like they were so determined to like eat this baby. And I was like, oh, this could go dark. But then it just completely turns in a funny light moment and actually having fun with uh, the little baby. I could watch them just doing tiny little licks on the side of that baby's face. <laughs> that, that was amazing. That was hysterical. And I saw that promo um, as a in the trailer too. I was like, yep. That was another moment that had me sold for this film. I was like, I got, I got to watch this film. Yeah, it's a hysterical because you think wolves are going to be scary, but then they end up being funny and comedic. And what's great is that if you enjoyed that moment, there you do not worry. There are other great stuff that the wolf pack does throughout the course of the film that is just such great ideas and takes on the idea of, of what a wolf pack is capable of doing. Yeah, and we'll, we'll definitely get into uh, more of the wolves a little bit later on. Too, but I, you know, I really enjoyed it, and those um, Keegan, Michael Key, and uh, Jordan Peele—they're just hysterical together. Yeah. And to have them as the alpha, beta wolf were just <laughs> so funny how they played off of each other. Um, I really loved it. But you know, speaking of funny, what were you, some of your like funniest moments, or what that you? Enjoy the most out of this film. Uh, the the one that I remember, and I, I laughed. I, I was entertained through the, uh, through the film, but the one that I remember I laughed out loud at was uh, as they're trying to escape the wolf pack, and uh, they go through the they're going through the, the hangar, and they realize it's glass <laughs> glass factory. <laughs> yes, so good. <laughs> I did not see this coming. <laughs> oh, it was just great. I think I had every single one just am smacking some more than twice yeah. <laughs> <More> than <once>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just like playing off the idea that birds can't see glass because we always see birds running into glass oh. and they just amped it up in a hysterical way it was so nice and just the way that scene starts off too where we uh, see tulip running through and you're like why is she running like a crazy person yeah, there's something i'm not seeing oh and then the way the camera just kind of pulls back and just shifts slightly to realize like oh wait this, there's there's glass <laughs> a lot of glass between her and him oh. uh and and it, it was another fun moment where those two are like working together um during this and escaping the wolf pack but it, i think if Physically, it just looked funny seeing a stork run into it. <laughs> every single pane of glass. You think he missed maybe one, but he hit every single one. No, it was yeah, and as you said, sometimes some more than once. Like th- <laughs> this moment had me rolling in the theater. Like I was legitimately cracking up. Um, 
Yeah, that was definitely one of my funniest moments, and I, I think the writing as well. Just, there were some quick one-liners that I thought were very smart and witty, too. Uh, when when Junior's trying to get back into the the hover-flying airplane, I guess yeah. you can say, and he's trying to escape the wolves for the first time, and he's waiting for the baby and tulip and he's like i could press this button with such a little amount of force <laughs> yes, right. like uh, all these smart lines well even when we first uh, our first introduction to tulip where junior's calling out to her it's like orphan tulip it's like don't call me orphan it hurts my heart <laughs> it hurts my heart yeah with the smile the delivery of that line i thought was just really nice yeah um and th- that line made me it's like oh i'm gonna like tulip yeah because she's just a sweetie <laughs> <laughs> um but th- i think there were just really smart one line you know, quips throughout this. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I feel like uh, you, you get that source material in the script, and then when you bring in actors like Andy Samberg, you've got Key and Peele, mm-hmm. you've got other people, uh, uh, Ty Burrell, uh, you know, Jennifer Anderson, who's, you know, does comedy as well, just to yeah. be able to take those kind of that, those script beats and also just do improv scenes as well on, on, the, on those script points and then come off with great, even better scenes. Yeah, we had a lot of comedic actors in this film, which I was thoroughly surprised with. Um, which I loved, and I think that's why I thought this film was so funny. But, you know, let's get into the cast, shall we? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about uh, Andy Samberg, who voices Junior. I mean, he's he's done a lot of comedy and animation as well, um, for, like, voice animation. But, like, known for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, SNL, and then for his animation, he's done, like, Hotel Transylvania. So he, this is, seems like a role that he's very comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly that that guy who thinks he has it figured out, but then can get so easily sidetracked mm-hmm. on something. Uh, that, no, I, I I did like him, and just his relationship with Tulip, I thought just really to see where he's at, and then by the end of it, just kind of realize that oh yeah, I I want to I want a family too. It's not all just about trying to be the boss now. Right, and I liked the character of Junior because he starts off as like more of the middleman. More so, and then he he grows with us, and he grows on Tulip and the baby, and like he starts off, well, you think he could be like a mean guy, but you know, like throughout, he's just doing his job, and then he actually like builds this relationship with the baby and and Tulip, and I like that, and it made him a softer kind of character. Yeah, I, I felt like we were in good hands just from that scene where Hunter says, "All right, first act, if you're going to be the big boss, is before before Monday, you've got to fire Tulip." Mm-hmm. Got to get her out of here. She's 18 now. Yeah, make sure she get gets out. out of here. Yeah, we got to get. And just the difficulty that he has trying to say the word fire. Mm-hmm. Like that. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, this is going to be good. Uh, I even liked his uh, flash when he realizes he could get um, hired to be the boss. He's like, cool, cool, really, really, very cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, it was just smart. And uh, Andy, um, he said when he was recording his lines and whatnot, he. He said it was actually kind of distracting to have other actors with him, you know, um, playing off for the dialogue. So a lot of times he would just close his eyes and try to just, like, memorize his lines and say it. Oh, interesting. And not really act uh, an opposite of someone. But you think that would actually be more beneficial to someone's performance, but he found it distracting. Yeah, because it seems like more often than not when you talk to actors that have done an animated film, they only talk about just like, yeah, it's just so lonely and isolated. I really didn't even meet the, cl- the cast until right. we went to like the red carpet premiere, and that's when I finally met the rest of them. So you think the, the, those times when they do uh, a cast recording, and it seems more often than not TV shows get a chance, they, they mm-hmm. have the time to be able to bring in a lot of the cast together and record it. And people seem to really enjoy that kind of banter back and forth and that what can happen when you get all together in a room. So to hear Andy say, like, hey, you know, I actually kind of like being alone. That's it really, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just the character of Junior, I liked. He he had a seemingly a full arc from where he started into where he ended. And even, like, his relationship with Tulip. Like, it started broken literally because they thought he broke his wing. Yes. And then at the end, they helped each other and literally flew. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, it's just like they came together and overcame, which I liked. Yeah, it, and you thought it was broken or just dislocated? It dislocated, yeah. snapped back into place, <laughs> as painful as it was. But I was yeah. surprised. I like, I like the idea that they had to ground Junior to actually now he's forced to spend that time with Tulip and properly deliver this baby rather than just fly and get the whole mission over 
done with in a day. Very true. Because uh, it's like, I wonder, if it was that moment because with the way he ends up injuring his wing is that he's trying to hit the emergency shutoff switch, which is placed in the worst, <laughs> the worst place. Yes, and I was like, why do they make this just for, other than like the comedic moment of him trying mm-hmm. to actually do it? I was trying to figure out, like, why would you make, like, something that it seems so necessary, so hard to get access to? Mm-hmm. And then you realize it really sets up the rest of the story. I mean, you've got to have that kind of little, you know, that moment of, like, weird com- comedic contrivance to really set up the fact that we can't have, if Junior could deliver it, you know, that day. Yeah, then, then the movie's over. Yeah. <laughs> um, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen Rio. Yeah, uh, no, I've with not the, seen With that. the blue uh, Amazon parrots. Uh, it, it has the same concept uh, where the, the main character, Blue, the main parrot, it, he actually um, he can't fly. Oh. Like, his, his, it, those birds are meant to fly, but he can't fly, and he has to mate with the, his female and but like he can't fly and she can fly so like they're literally bound together by a shackle <laughs> so they're stuck together and therefore like has the whole movie you know they have to be with each other and it's the same kind of concept that like because of a physical kind of dislocation or physical disability he has to like spend the time with Tula yeah that's right and which ends up being the best thing that could ever happen to him yeah it worked it, yeah. worked, it seems like the worst thing that could happen to you at the moment is like, my, my wing's broken. I can't do this. But mm-hmm. in the end, you see, he needed that time with Tulip. I liked it. Uh, let's let's talk about Tulip then. Katie Crown. I'm not really familiar with her work, but she's done um, work in Avenger Time, Bob's Burgers, Clarence. So she's done a lot of voice animation too. The interesting thing about Katie is that she was actually brought into this project as a temporary scratch voice for these characters and they actually while they were producing and directing you know like while they were just making the film in general um they realized they liked her voice so much that they kept her see i mean that gives you show you just like you know you just you, you never know when that opportunity presents itself but you just got to grab it because look at that i mean she just went in like no oh, just i guess my scratch voice but i'll still give it my all her voice yeah but she became the the, the main voice and I, yeah, and I agree. I thought I thought she was great, and just her interaction with Andy Samberg, I thought was really enjoyable. Yeah, and the the character of Tulip, and I liked how she got her happy ending too with the family. Yeah, it's like man, like Tulip, it's such a tragic beginning for her. Where I mean, through no, I mean, she was just a baby when she ended up. Uh, a stork got a little too possessive <laughs> of her and ended up destroying the tracker that allows a stork to be able to deliver to a, a baby's family. So they had no idea where she belonged, and so they just kept her there. Orphan. Yeah. <laughs> Orphan Tulip. It's Hurts like, what, my heart. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what kind of life does that got to be for, like, I mean, she's just turning 18 as a movie's beginning, but 18 years, you're just living there. You're not, I mean, you want to fly more than anything because you're Ron Storks that can fly all the time. <laughs> it was hysterical when Junior was, like, first meeting Stork, and she's, she has those jackpacks on for the birds who can't fly, the chicken, emu, and a quail. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, they can't fly, so stop trying. Um, I like that. And that established her character that she's, like, she's very positive and she tries to help others Yes, um, achieve their dream. <laughs> and I like that when a Junior, instead of firing her, it kind of puts her in the letters office. Uh, like, just stay here. Do not leave. Whatever you do, you do not leave this room. Uh, and you're going to be in this letter office, which, of course, since the storks don't deliver babies anymore, they don't get yeah. any letters. She's just stuck there. But just to see the way that she just kind of tries <laughs> to at least keep herself entertained during these long hours stuck in there. Yeah, all those personalities. I was like, oh, is this a real thing? <laughs> or it's like, I can understand why you've been alone for <laughs> your whole life, which is really sad. That hair uh, is great. It, she can do a lot with that hair. <laughs> she can. Yeah. It, it was really funny. And I was watching Lime Dub. B-roll um, interview, like B-roll clips of Katie actually doing the voices of the different personalities, and she would do it in just one long take. Ah, that's it's amazing! Like she was switched from voice to voice to voice. I was like, "Wow, this girl's talented." Yeah. Um, and, and I like too that she got her happy ending, and like she had a full fledged story too. Like be starting at an or- as an orphan, but now literally having a full family of storks and the actual her birth family. That had like all these people. Yeah, involved. and knowing that, of course, that her ultimate goal was to be reunited with her with her family. But mm-hmm. through her time together with Junior, realizing that you know family is not just what I'm also looking for, but I've also built a family through this adventure that I've had too. So I just can't leave Junior uh, behind when I think he's in trouble. I got to help him out. I got to make sure that I'm with him to fulfill this mission. Yeah, and the fact that Junior was even there. Like on his own time to help support her. Yes, just like I, I liked it. it was a it was a two way street for that. Uh, but let's talk about Stephen Kramer Glickman, who played Pigeon Toady. Uh, 
hysterical but weird but funny. <laughs> man, a very odd character for sure. He's like the one coworker you hate but you just have to deal with. Yeah, and it's just like you just find him annoying, and you're just like, please just. Go. Yeah, bro. Oh. <laughs> He's trying to relate to you on any sort of mm-hmm. kind of term, like, I'm cool, I'm with it, I get it, I'm in the know. Or, like, tries to play himself up bigger than what he really is. Yeah. That, you know, Napoleonic complex. Which, when you're a had. pigeon, uh, that's tough. I mean, I feel like you, that's what you can only constantly do. You're tiny compared to all the other storks. Yeah. Um, Steven Kramer Glickerman, both all names. <laughs> <laughs> um, he said he was drawn to the idea of people finding their family and where they belong in the world, and he liked the the balance between the work and home. Um, for him personally, I like that why he got involved in this film. And he said uh, the initial sessions of Pigeon Toady, he was actually with Katie Crump. So, you know, who voiced Tulip. And she, uh, he said that having her helped him in his performance and played off of that dynamic. Yeah, it was interesting just to see how how much he, he was in the film. Where I mean, he came in at key points to really kind of disrupt the uh, the action for, at certain moments there. Yeah, and I liked how Pigeon Toady, like, yes, he was the one following them throughout this whole thing and, like just thwarting their plans and, you know, constantly on their tail. But, like, he was getting closer and closer every single time. I'm like, I think he's the bigger villain to watch out for. And he does get his own musical montage. He does. Yes. That, that was a, uh, a fun surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but I liked it. I liked it. I was like, all right, a villain. A villain gets the song. Yeah, I can only imagine, yeah, things would not be good uh, for the corner store there if he was in charge. Oof, does mm. not seem like... No, no, because like he was also presented with the same opportunities. Like, hey, if you catch Tulip and Junior, then you can be boss instead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, cool, cool, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we talked a little bit about them. But King of Michael Key and Jordan Peele, an amazing comedic duo of these days, but playing the alpha and beta wolves. Man, that. It's, given you know how much improv they do here together, and you know just how the script kind of developed, I'm just curious to see some of the things that they have the wolf pack do in this film. Was that just awesome. born out of them just improving like things that wolves could do? Like, oh, let's do this, and they realized oh, that's a really cool idea. We should just do that. Or was it more a little bit in the story? I, I'm curious. It was more of the the ad libbing and um, improv dialogue more than the the concept because I, I watched some B roll footage of those two recording their lines. And uh, there, there was the moment where all the wolf packs are there surrounded by the baby. And, it, like, they said, like, a really important thing. And then the wolves in the back were like, we can't hear you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, louder, please. And, like, that was actually their idea. Like, oh. that was them and, um, you know, Jordan and Keegan both are, like, rec- saying these lines out as they're, you know, recording their lines. Like, they're actually spitballing these um, and it was their idea to have the background voices of the, the wolves. Well, it's tough to be if you're in the back of the pack. I mean, you want to be able to still be in on the action, for yeah. sure. But I, I guess as we're just talking about the uh, the, uh, the wolf pack, just the idea that uh, throughout the course of the, their, their pursuit of Junior and Tulip uh, mm-hmm. and the baby, that they uh, almost become like uh, their own animal transformers, so to speak. Right? I love this, and I think we we do have a clip for those who are tuning in. Um, and the video portion, there is a video clip of the, the how the wolves can pretty much create anything. <laughs> Suspension bridges and a, an a airplane and a boat. Submarine. <laughs> the submarine. A, va- a van. Um, I love that. Uh, oh. like, well, we're talking about it now, but uh, like there was actually a really cool thing with the, the animation of that. Because that wasn't Keegan and Jordan's um, idea. That was actually just part of the animation Oh, that's itself. cool. And they said f- to to have all these wolves just form different types of shapes. It started off as like 2D animation, like just to, for the concept. And they wanted the shape and silhouette of how it would look. And then they animated that into 3D. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, they, according to Alan Camillo and Melt van der Spooy, sorry if I butchered that name, um, they they were like the main animators for these sequences, but they said that they actually created a specialized tool set so they can give the um, 
graphic artist flexibility in doing the wolf configurations. So they they set a tool preset so they can like actually move mold these wolves into different <laughs> <laughs> into different objects. Like it was holy just, crap. It was just a such a cool fun riff on the idea of like when you think about a wolf pack. You know, just like they, or if you're a wolf pack, well, then what you can you do is a wolf, wolf pack. bridge, suspension yeah. bridge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just loved it. I, I was like, okay, that's cool. They made a little bridge, and that's something that you might you've seen before and stuff. But then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they say like, all right, uh, you know, uh, wolf boat, wolf form boat. of a boat, and then form of submarine. <laughs> yeah, you're like, whoa, great. The way that it kept on going, I was like, excellent. Right. I really love that. And, and I loved how like each of them just escalated to a more cool objects. Yeah, you, know, like, you go from a <laughs> suspension bridge to a submarine with the boom. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and then to an airplane. It's like, no, wolves can't fly. No. They might be able to swim, but they can't fly. Uh, <laughs> I liked how like they had to stop. Like, no, let's suspend your disbelief a little bit. Um, I enjoyed it. It was so funny. So, like, yeah. I think the wolves are probably the standout characters to me. Yeah, just, just for how inventively they're used and executed. It, they're such a really, just a really cool idea. Yeah, I, I love them. Uh, they were really fun. Another fun character was actually Jasper, because I thought he was going to be a villain, but he actually didn't turn out to be a villain. No, they really kind of play him up at the sort of at the beginning of the film when you see Tulip's flashback and what Jasper did, uh, mm-hmm. and then even as he's kind of following Junior and Tulip as they're trying to deliver the baby, he's kind of uh, you know showing in shadows and just kind of repeating like, "Oh, my baby, my she's baby." Mine. <laughs> yeah, she's you mine. really think that he's either become deranged during his mm-hmm. time away, or yeah, uh, or so, or he's evil. Possessive. And you find no, no, no. He's just, uh, he's just somebody that is just. He, he feels a lot of regret and 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 is sorry for what he's done. And he's trying to atone for his actions and kind of complete uh, a stork's mission, which is you want to be able to deliver that baby to deliver. a family. Um, I liked it, and voiced by Danny Trejo, who yeah. I did not, you know, like I, I didn't realize that was him watching it. No, it's uh, man. You feel like Danny, Danny Trejo when you, you so often like, associate so many different types of like a, a certain sort of role with Danny Trejo. He's you know, playing a tough guy, so very intimidating. Mm-hmm. But to see him just more of like kind of a compassionate kind of humor, softer. yeah, softer role. I was like, all right, nice. It, I think that's one of the uh, the things that I think actors really love about animation. It just gives them a chance to be able to play characters they probably don't ever get a chance to play in live action. Yeah, um, I, I liked it, and I felt like he could have been another maybe father surrogate to Tulip mm-hmm. had he not been like so creepy and kept his distance all these all these years. He could have like been up to Tulip, be like, "Hey, I'm trying to, you know, I've always been looking out for you, and I've always been wanting to, you know, deliver you to your respective family." Yeah, especially uh, considering I wonder how long Tulip uh, has held on to the one piece of the uh, the tracker. Uh, the mm-hmm. ID locator, therefore, where she's supposed to be delivered. Because, uh, I mean, that's all that Jasper's missing. He's like, yeah, but I'm trying to find them one piece. I'm like, how long? If yeah. only you guys had talked sooner. Yep. <laughs> like, she wouldn't have been an orphan that's right. for 18 years. Come on, Jasper. I mean, Did you see that coming, though? Because we saw that one moment where she's talking to Junior, and she's like, this is the only thing left that I have when I was a baby was that one piece, of the last piece of the puzzle. Did you see that coming? I man, I was kind of torn like what uh, Tulip's end result was going to be. At one time, I was thinking like, wow, are they going to try to tie in the baby and Tulip and the family and say mm-hmm. like maybe that was a baby that was supposed to go to that family as well? So yeah, I uh, thought so too. Yeah, so I thought that's where the end result was going to be. So I, I figured it was going to pay. We had to find out where Tulip came from at some point. But I was up in the air several times during the film, like which way they were going to take her. Okay, I thought the the piece was definitely going to come into play, but I also thought that Tulip and this baby that they had to deliver were going to go to the same family. Yeah, only because their hair color was the same. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, they they seem like fun personally. They could be sisters by eighteen years. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, and I mean, certainly Nate is looking for somebody that has you know like a lot of ninja skills. Uh, mm-hmm. So like I mean, Tulip, I mean, it's already like you know that's a that's a grown kid to be able to play with. So I mean, she's got ninja skills already out the wazoo. Well, she is smart and innovative. I mean, she built a an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> Who could do that? And you see, like, Nate's plans that he does with his family to build all, all those extensions to the house. So it's like, I, so I the, like the times like that, I was like, I could see her easily fitting in with this family. Totally. Uh, I liked the family. We had uh, Sarah Gardner and Her- Henry Gardner, played by Jennifer Aniston and Ty Burrell. 
I didn't realize that was Jennifer Aniston. I should have known because it took a while. Yeah, I did not until the credits. I was like, oh, I was that like, was interesting. Oh, yeah, that's her. I, I noticed Ty because he's done some, like so many comedic roles um, <laughs> when it comes to animation. But uh, I like those two as well as parents and just like the evolution of them realizing that they're constantly working. Like, no, we should spend this time with our son. Yeah, it's uh, again as I mentioned before, it's like I like that it wasn't drawn out, and you know it took them a while to get to this moment. They, that mm-hmm. happened relatively quickly, which was which was good. And then because I'd rather see them, do I want to spend you know twenty, thirty minutes, an hour, or so just watching them try to get to that point, or do I want to say like, okay, we realize that, let's now have fun and see what a fun family kind of does to re- kind of recapture that kind of family connection. Yeah, um, but then yeah, we had Kelsey Grammer, who obviously played Hunter. But uh, he said he was drawn to the material because he liked the, it was a, the celebration of life and, you know, the gift of what a child is every day. So, like, that's that's what drew him to the movie, too. And uh, he said when it came to finding his voice for Hunter, he imitated Rip Torn. I mean, you know, it's like, I because I, I remember reading that, too, and I was, like, trying to look back on what I thought. I was like, Kelsey Grammer has such a distinct voice mm-hmm. that, I mean, I... At no time, I mean, reading that, when he said, like, I was trying to, you know, you know, kind of inspired by Rip Torn, I'm like, I would not have made that connection. Because I just feel like Kelsey Grammer is like, he's Kelsey Grammer. He's got that, yeah. you know, he's that he's rich got a voice. Deep voice. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Dr. Frazier Crane. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of which, because uh, Kelsey Grammer is known for his Frazier Crane uh, role on Cheers and just Frazier itself, that the word Crane. They they worked that joke into his character that there is actually a line where it was cut from the movie, unfortunately. But uh, Grammer recites that his line during the press conference, a certain press conference, he says, "I'm not a stork, I'm a crane." <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, that line was cut from the movie. So. I wonder if he was seething when he watched he watched the finished film. He's like, <laughs> "Probably." I was. I, I was really. Like, <laughs> I had that line. It was great. What are you doing? And it only makes sense for people who are like. <laughs> That's right. 25 and older. <laughs> you big tossed salad and uh, scrambled eggs. And scrambled yes, eggs. Yes, In Seattle. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I like Kelsey Grammer. He's an amazing actor himself. And uh, he's done other voice animation acting as well. He was in uh, Toy Story 2. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, he was also in Anastasia. Oh, that's, oh man. <laughs> Back in those days. Oof. But, uh, yeah, uh, let's talk about the, the directors, though, Nicholas Stoller and Doug Sweetland. As we mentioned before, one has experience in live and one has experience in animation. But Stoller has the experience in live acting. So it was mostly his duties to work with the actors during the recording sessions of the for the voices. And when you see like, you know, the films that he's done, like for getting Sarah Marshall, get him to the Greek, he's working with comedic actors that are used to kind of, you know, riffing on the material. Mm-hmm. When people like Jonah Hill, uh, Russell Brand, you know, people like that, that can kind of play along with the, the script and kind of add their own flourishes to it. He seems like, you know, really comfortable to be able to like, work with other actors in this element and get the best out of them and let them just kind of run and see what they can do with the material as well. Yeah. And, um, Sweetland, who has the experience in the animation, he's worked with Disney and Pixar uh, for years, that uh, what Stoller said about Sweetland is that uh, the animation took longer. It was a longer process, but it was less stressful. And the the live action recording was a shorter process, but more stressful. So yeah. there, there was a good balance between both of those two. <laughs> It's just what I loved uh, as, you know, just like looking, like doing more like a deep dive of this film and just the, the candidness that uh, both uh, uh, Doug and Nick had about the, just like the process and the, the original story points and stuff that they wanted to do. Like originally, like Tulip was going to be uh, raised by the storks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, that's, that, if you would have seen that, that would have been a terrible idea. If we would have let that go through, it was awful. It was awful. But I just loved how candid they were because I, I think you really realize that just even more so, I think, than live action, just how much an animated film can change from an initial idea to what you see on the screen. Yeah, and I th- I think they had a really good working relationship, too, because there was balance of just the comedic acting, which you can tell in the voice, and then the animation was just hysterical when you see the wolf configurations, and just, like, over-the-top amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's when you get people like that that can really gel well together and just really bring out the best in each other. I mean, I, I can see, like, even that this is not geared towards having a, a sequel about it, 
the idea that they still want to work on something else together, though. I mean, you at least make that behind-the-scenes connection where a sequel would be just another film that they happen to do together, not necessarily Storks 2 or something like and that. And I would welcome it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about the, the animation because, it, I mean, it's not like a Disney animation or Disney Pixar um, that has, like, the biggest budget. But, they, I mean, they had a very decent-sized budget to really fully animate like babies, storks, they had like individual characters with in individual looks, which um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. The character design in here I thought was was really cool. I mean, it, for the most part, I mean, I guess you know we we do see uh, Nate and his parents, uh, but our basically our really only human that we see there is Tulip throughout there. And I just like the her look and her stylized appearance was really cool. Right. Tulips and all the babies, yes, um, which all had very colorful hair. Which I wondered why, because most babies aren't really born with blue hair or pink hair, yeah, <laughs> like the, this baby was. And what I liked with, with uh, Nick and Doug were saying is that the reason they gave it so many different colors of hair was that they wanted to let this, everybody know that this is a kind of a magical, different world than our real world that we're living mm-hmm. in. So you're not going to find babies, probably you know, right right out of the womb with all these wide varieties of different colored hair and stuff like that. It's just a different way to separate. Like this is kind of more of a fantasy story. Not really a true-to-life story. Yeah, and the colored hair was also um, a different way to show the baby's personalities as well. As we saw, the, the Gardner families, they were more like brunettes and blonde in a more natural tone and palette, and uh, a more like neutral palette. And then these babies, you don't know if they're like really fun, full of life, or sweet, or whatnot. So like they liked adding the different colors just to show different personalities with these babies. You know, but it's like seeing like that. It's like, you know, I wish that were actually true. I wish that babies were just, you know, it wasn't so much, you know, just genetics and heredity. Just like, you know, a baby could come out with green hair or and be like, all right. And everybody, yeah. be, that's that's cool. It's no totally worries. acceptable. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right. That's awesome. And all purple right. hair. I, I wish my baby had purple yeah. hair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and because they had to create so many different babies, um, the directors actually compiled pictures of their babies and their coworkers' babies and children's just to get, like, different looks and ideas. I can imagine something like that where, you, where you're working on a project that involves a baby and you're having a lot of parents involved in the process. Yeah. Everybody has just a million different stories about the way that their babies may move or gesture or act that uh, really brings just like a, a unique mo- movements to each of the different babies in there. Yeah. And speaking of movements, the storks had different movements as well. Um, like they had a – like you've seen a lot of animated films where they spend so much time on like fur and coats of different animals and whatnot to add. But, like, these storks were very... They seem, like, more complete as one thing. There's not, like, a bunch of million layers on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to say less detailed, but they're, they're more, like, fully figured, and you can delineate each animal easier in this film. Yeah, it's I, I like it's It's not necessarily a true-to-life look, but it's a really nice stylized look that still does mm-hmm. the job tremendously. That it tells you, like, this, is a, this is a stork. I buy, I buy this as a stork. Yeah. And for the looks of the, the storks that they actually wanted, um, according to Minash, they said they created a whole set of designs for the, the feathers so they can move and have, like, different geometric shapes when they're, like, speaking or flying or something. So, like, they, they have, like, very precise static movements with the wings. I, which was, like, a couple of gestures where you see Junior going into uh, the letters office and, and he's throwing uh, his wings just casually to knock out the cameras. Mm-hmm. So I like those gestures. And then you also get to see uh, uh, Tula braid his hair, or his wings, I should that's, say. That's right. <laughs> if you ever want to see a bird get his hair, uh, his wings braided. His hair braided. This is the movie for you. It was then, you know, that family bonding moment. Yes. <laughs> which I really enjoyed. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we talked about the wolf packs, but uh, they were just so fun to watch. I oh. love them. I love them. Um, let's talk a little bit about, the, you know, the music for this film. Uh, there was actually... We had uh, Michael Dana and Jeff Dana both both composed the soundtrack to this film. Um, and they, they there's a whole soundtrack, and I believe there's like 28 different scores for this. I mean, that's a lot of music for this film. Yeah. A lot. And it's uh, it, it, the music, not bad. It, uh, it certainly, I mean, yeah. at the end, there there were moments there where I mean, the music works well with the images. That you know, I mean, you know, at the end, I get I get a little teary eyed at the end. So it's like that's I feel like that's a sign of successful marriage of uh, music and uh, image when you can kind of just create those powerful moments there. Yeah, and and the Dana brothers are really good because uh, they also did the really 
well-composed theme for The Good Dinosaur. Yes. And I really remember the music in that movie as well. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a side talk there. I, I, I enjoyed the music more than I enjoyed that film, unfortunately. But that's <laughs> a topic for another show. Yes, that's, <laughs> yes. We go back and listen to that part, <laughs> yes. that show. Uh, yeah, I, re- I really liked it, and the they actually scored that at the um, the scoring the Eastwood scoring stage at the Warner Brothers. Oh, cool! Yeah, so um, it's really cool, and they had like a big uh, actual orchestra and and filmed it. And you can go like, look up the videos on YouTube, you know, like look them up online, and you can see them actually recording their recording session pretty neat yeah. and if, we, if we're talking about music and sound there just one other sequence that i really enjoyed uh to backtrack for a second was when uh uh junior and tulip have gotten the baby back from stork count and they're making mm-hmm. their way uh to the helicopter and all of a sudden all the penguins are the uh right penguins, there yes. yes and just the way that they have to fight <laughs> without waking up the baby and that was it, hysterical oh such a really cool idea to have this really vicious fight but as quiet as possible. And it was it was just really funny because I, I think everyone's used to the Madagascar penguins. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of that, but like a little bit more funny. Yeah, it was just the way that they brought the eyes out where they just made them just like white dots. Mm-hmm. It just made them, I don't want to say soulless more. speak. They didn't have names. They were just, they were more like ninja penguins. <laughs> yes. It was just, they, they just kind of speak like in clicks or whatever. And they kind of mm-hmm. translated there at the bottom, whatever it was. But, uh, yeah. it, uh, I loved it, and especially when they were like poking each other, biting each other's legs, and like and they were <laughs> muffling their their screams and pillows. And stuff. That was a hysterical uh, moment. That was probably uh, that, and the wolf moments were probably my two favorite. Yeah, fun uh, scenes to watch in this film. Yeah, to see a way to end a fight just by throwing a box of bells. Like, that's going to be the way that you're going to try to stop these guys. <laughs> yeah, don't wake the baby. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, for this film, I mean, I've I've known about this film for a while, but have did, were you aware of this film? I, I guess I probably came aware of it. I'd say probably maybe March or April, probably around the time okay. of Kung Fu Panda three. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably around that time. Seeing like the the early trailers and stuff for it, and it was, that was an idea that was like sticking through me throughout the summer. I was like, oh yeah, when is this movie coming out? So it's one that I've heard about for a while, but only not anything prior to this year though. Yeah, um, I've, I've known about it for a while, and I think they actually had a really good promotional marketing team for this film. I mean, I, I think animation films do great in promotion, especially when they're trying to, like, geared towards the children. Mm-hmm. There's, like, there's so many ways you can, like, get people's attentions. But I, I was pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting to see the things that they went through. Um, to for for promotion for this films like Menchie's love Menchie's Menchie's yogurt oh, yeah. <laughs> Froyo, um, they introduced different f- uh, favorite frozen yogurt flavors um, named after store characters. That's cool. I, well, I I'm always a sucker for one they because I know well uh, Yogurtland did it with Kung Fu Panda three. So uh, but just when yeah. uh, they and they did very much the same thing where they had different inspired flavors based on the characters. So that's always a nice little cool spin on that. And then if they go the extra step and they take like the spoons and they usually kind of try to get like the top kind of looking like any those. of the characters. Yeah, yep. I love those. And Red Robin actually had uh, that that restaurant chain actually had a deal going on where they offered a free movie ticket with a purchase of a $25 Red Robin gift card. You can't go wrong with that. I mean, they got, you know, bottomless fries? Red Red Robin? Robin. Come on. Yum. (laughs) And uh, Land of Frost delivered 14 million co-branded packages of his products to thousands of retailers worldwide. (laughs) Just storks. (laughs) Delivered storks. Isn't that funny? And uh, Cinnabon, because of the where do babies come from, they they went off at that slogan like "bun in the oven." Oh, for uh, their cinnamon roll bakeries. That right there, right there, that I think gets my favorite uh, promotion. Yes, I'm like, all right, I think I want to go over to Cinnabon and get yeah. one now. Yeah, so there, there were a lot of uh, cool, different, smart promotional things. Speaking of that, for like the the the, the bun in the oven, though, just uh, real quickly, the idea of how they uh, bring when you think of like how does a baby come to life if you're using the storks. And right. when you figure out that it's just through a, a, a written letter to the storks and they use that and they put it into a machine and it it's cool to see a little bit of it. You see like the, the, the actual letter starts subdividing like it was mm-hmm. cells. And then voila, a baby appears. Baby. I thought that was just it was such a cool idea. It was smart, yeah. And I enjoyed it and I loved how they still kept all the letters even though 
once they stopped delivering the babies, they still kept all the letters that were still being sent to them for yeah. babies in that one big giant glass container. And then it just like pretty much explodes with billions of babies everywhere. Oh, I, I love that. Because I mean, I feel like it ties in so well because, you know, hopefully for the most part, uh, when people want to have a baby, it's through it's an act of love. Mm-hmm. And so this letter, also an act of love, they want to have something in their life. So I feel like that is a, a perfect, like almost like, you know, the, you know, the genesis of a baby. It's easily like to come out of that kind of moment of love to all of a sudden have it subdivide and become... An actual living baby is really yeah. cool. And I liked how it kind of went back to the origins because even though the, the me- machine was broken and they didn't have the metal pods anymore, that they had to go back to the blankets. Yes. So babies and blankets being delivered by storks. It felt like that it was just like, it was just natural. Well, why not? We've been, this is how it's always done. This yeah. is something like the, the simplest ways and the easiest ways are the best ways of doing it. How it should be. <laughs> um, and I, I liked how uh, hunters fill in villainous character went down to yeah that uh no longer no no, no. well you figure like the way that uh i mean well it goes along it comes around with hunter i mean the way he treated those little those little birds at the mm-hmm. beginning they 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 get their moment to uh you know kind of voice their displeasure with hunter at the end of the film yeah and i mean even his demise went down with the factory because like the the delivery factory is not working it's not there anymore that's so they had to go back to the babies too yeah so i, I liked how that like pretty much brought everything back to the beginning no that's what i love just like the design of uh the device that brings the babies to fruition from from loving letter to an actual baby just and, and they're they're the whole the, the mount they're they're based on top of a mountain there just suggests such mm-hmm. a like a, a backstory and mythology that the film doesn't really dwell on but it's just it's there just to look at and appreciate and kind of just fill in some of the gaps where where all this stuff may have come from and how the storks actually you know who built these devices for the storks to use but it just Things I never dwelled on, but it's just really cool stuff that makes you it's want to think about. That's always been there. Yeah, it's just it's, it's always been how there. it's always been. <laughs> Storks always deliver babies, um, but yeah, box office it actually opened up uh, number two compared to it was up against Magnificent Seven, um, and it opened up worldwide. It's like forty four, forty five million. So that's pretty solid for an animation yeah. film. I know that originally they were projecting it to hopefully be around thirty five, thirty six million, and then after that opening weekend, they kind of revised their box office to about twenty, and it came in about twenty one on the opening box office. But I have a feeling this is going to be a movie that, at least I, I'm hoping that it has legs, so that it may not mm-hmm. have done as well as they projected that initial opening weekend, but it's still going to stick around at least in the top five for a lot longer than they think. I think it definitely has legs. I think it was a really sweet story and um, that people could gravitate to and relate to because even at the end of the film when they're delivering the babies, they're delivering it to all different types of families. Did you notice that there was a lesbian couple? Did you notice yes. that there were gay couples? I loved it. Like, and I was like, wow, this is a very progressive film. I thought that was just a great moment there just to see everybody, uh, everybody every kind of combination. Everybody was getting, you yeah. get a baby and you get a you baby. You get a baby. But like the, just the idea of like even families that usually have the most difficult time of getting children or having children, like they, they get their happiness and they finally get a child as well. Yeah, I mean, that's just something to be Sweet. said. Like you wish, you wish real life was as simple as writing a letter to a store mm-hmm. uh, and wanting a baby in your life. And it could happen just like that. It could happen. Um, the the reception for this film is fairly positive. I mean, Cinema Score gave it an A minus, and IMDb says seven point three. Rotten Tomatoes like sixty five, which I think is a little low. Yeah. But the audience says seventy three, and I think that's pretty solid. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I mean, I, I, it, it is definitely an enjoyable movie. At the end, as I said, I, I cried. So <laughs> for that, you know, I got a little teary eyed. I, I consider that a win for me. I was like, at the end, I, it was just it's so feel good. And I love Feel Good. I'm all about Feel Good movies or television shows. And do you think this movie is strong enough to have a sequel? Well, I mean, I... Or, like, I, could warrant a sequel? I don't know if it could warrant it. I mean, certainly from what uh, 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 Nick and Doug were saying is that they really don't see... I mean, other than, I guess if it did fantastic numbers mm-hmm. uh, and then the studio said, hey, we'd love to do another one, I guess they said, you know, they could come up with an idea. But at least within this iteration they can see this is just a done in one sort of story one and done which is like i'm as i said at the beginning like i i love a movie that it, if it's just gonna be a one and done story this is a really nice well-told story that comes all together at the end and if this is the only one i'm really happy with this i'm i'm really happy with this would you buy this film i i would i would i, I would buy this film 
Yeah. Yeah, because there were just man, there's just some funny moments there. I mean, that uh, the glass, the glass, the glass, oh, the wolves. <laughs> yes, for that, that and the penguin fight scene. And uh penguin. Those are the moments there. I, I would, I would like to put that back on and watch those again. I would probably see those movie again. Oh, yeah, nice. I probably would, and I would definitely buy this film. This is, I think, this will be, you know, I, I, I Marissa and I were talking before the uh, the show started about the ways we like to buy things. So mm-hmm. she's an old school; she wants it on the shelf. I like my DVDs. Yes, DVDs. I just wait for I the like digital, the tangible yep. copies. There you go. I just want it in the air somewhere. Let the no, air hold it for me. I like it in my hand. <laughs> I don't like it being in the world like that. <laughs> but, um, overall, I, I really enjoyed this film to to the point I was like, we have to talk about this. We just have to. Um, but thanks so much for joining me. Heck yes. It was a, a lot of fun. As I, as, I, as I said when you asked me about this, like I, I hadn't seen it yet, but I wanted to. And this was the perfect excuse to go and see it. So uh, I already wanted to see it and was so happy I did. So make sure you check it out, guys. There you go. And where can everyone keep checking you out? Oh, um, just check me out. Hey, guys, check, check me out. Uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Happy Go Jackie. And then I also host uh, Box Office Breakdown here on Popcorn Talk Monday nights at 10 o'clock Pacific time. Awesome. And you can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. You can follow all of us here on Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I mix those two. Um, at The Popcorn Talk. And we have a bunch of anatomy dissections, a lot of animated films, a lot of you know drama films, all different types of films. Definitely check out our roster Just and more films to come. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff, we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.